We're going to be looking again in just a moment back in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at it today and then probably next week, Lord willing. Um, I just want to do a quick review, starting in chapter 5, and when I say quick, I mean like really quick, so here we go. In the first few uh, parts of chapter 5, it was kind of Jesus' teaching on the relationship with the law. Everything was sort of changing. It was going from laws written on stones to law written in our heart. And then it went from there to discussing our relationship, Christians' relationship with others, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, how that relationship should look and work in many different ways. Then he switched to talking about the relationship with God, and he focused primarily on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And there was a kind of one of the first of these three warnings, and we'll look at the second two this morning. That warning there was, be aware of the snare, the trap of the enemy called praise of men. We know the Pharisees. They, they, they lived and acted this way that they... They tried to present this super-religious life, but it was all for the praise of men. He encourages us, when you you pray, when you fast, when you give alms, don't do it to impress people. Do it to honor God. And that was kind of the first warning. And today we're going to look at two more warnings, and we're going to be looking in chapter 6, starting at verse 19, but I'm going to to start in the book of Romans. The title of my message this morning is Our Relationship with the World. And we'll define world again this week a little bit like we did last week. But our relationship, when I say our, I mean Christians, believers, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There is, there is a calling on our lives as Christians to be different from the world. But the snares and the traps and the temptations that are out there in the world can be really, really subtle. And I think the praise of man is one. You know, there's that thing in all of us, this, this fear of being rejected, wanting to be liked, wanting to be approved of. Man, that praise of man thing can get a hold of us, and we don't hardly even know that's what's driving us. And as soon as we're trapped in that thing of, of trying to do things to earn the approval or the praise of man, we're out of the will of God completely. We're doing things now to satisfy self, which brings no glory to God. And today we're going to look at two more traps that I think are even more insidious, uh, probably more people ensnared in them than any others. The first thing I want to mention is in Romans 8. This is Paul writing in Romans. And really what Paul is doing here is he is really kind of reinforcing, maybe even driving home, maybe even digging a little deeper to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh, according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the world, he says, Those that live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded, or worldly minded, if you would, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's hostile towards God. It makes us his enemy. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The the subtlety of that snare can be this. We are doing things in the flesh that look good. 
and they maybe even are good. But because we're doing them in the flesh, we're doing them to satisfy our carnal mind, we're doing this to point the finger at self. You can't please God. No matter how good it is. No matter how nice it is, no matter how kind it is, it doesn't please God. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? The motivation, our attitude is that important. Our heart, the attitude of our heart is that important. Being carnally minded, worldly minded. When we speak of a worldly mindset, when I speak of this, what I'm talking about is our way of looking at things. The way we see things, our attitude about things. It's an outlook or a mentality that we have about life and everything that's in life. The world's perspective, which is in contrast and conflict to God's perspective. Paul is really echoing Jesus' teaching. He's really saying this. Our human mind will follow one of two paths. We'll either follow the carnal, worldly path, or we're going to follow a godly path. One or the other. Our attitudes, our mindset, our mentality. A spiritual path or a worldly path. There's a two choices. And some of us get really good at this, or we think we're really good at this, walking with one foot in each side of that line. And it doesn't matter if you're only 2% in the worldly side. It doesn't please God. And he gets even stronger in his own teachings. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12, about a spirit of the world. You know, it's not as if just in the flesh it's not a challenge enough to avoid and, and, and not get ensnared by the things of the world. He's telling us there's a spirit in the world today. And how many of you know that spirit is not of God? The power, the prince of the air, the spirit of this world. Paul in 2 verse 12 says, We have not received, as believers, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. The world can't even understand it. There is a spirit of the world. But as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit that will reveal to us the things of God if we listen, if we hear, if we're sensitive to his spirit. So today I'm going to look at what I said as two other forms of worldly attraction or temptation or snares. And they're this, love of the world in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, and then the spirit of worry or the spirit of anxiety. And they both are powerful. And they both can be so subtle. Yet when we look at this, you're going to see they can control who you are and what you do. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The lamp of the body is the eye. 
If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I'm not going to talk about this today, but I, I pondered over that verse a lot. It's one of those verses when I read it. I get it. The things we see and how we see it, our attitude, if it's light, if it's truth, this light fills us. If it's evil, if it's darkness, if it's all the things of the world, the darkness consumes us. But this other part where it says, but if the light is darkness. And I believe what that means is if what we're seeing we think is light, but we are so deceived it is really darkness. And we can be that deceived so easily. And that's a danger that each one of us faces every day. Deception. The devil is good at it. And he will let us go as far as we want to go into that deception. And continuing on, it says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and riches. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave a command. And then he gives us the reason for the command. As I said, he's really good at that as a teacher. He tells us what to do, and then he tells us why. He says, do not, do not lay up treasures on earth. Why? Because they're so temporal. Moth, rust, thieves, robbers. They're temporal. And then he goes, but lay up treasures in heaven. We all know this, we all hear this, but we don't live like this. All the elements of earth, all the elements of, that, of anything that is made from the elements of earth is truly meant for annihilation. Did you know that? I don't care what it is, how powerful, how strong it is, how resistant it is to rock. It's all designed for annihilation. God says there's going to come a day when all of the earth is going to pass away. So it doesn't matter all this stuff that we spend so much time and energy accumulating and so often with the wrong attitude. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. I know we know that, but do we live like we know that? That's the challenge. And most importantly, in verse 21, Jesus warns us, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'll come back to that in a second, but I want to talk about treasure because so often when we see the word treasure and hear mammon, we start to think only of money. Now, money certainly is a snare. Materialism is a snare. But these treasures that are being talked about really include all the attitudes of life that we have, all the things that we have attitudes towards. You know, does our satisfaction come from things of the world? Does it come from the things of the world? If it comes from the things of the world, guess what? It's all designed to be annihilated at some time in the future, whenever God chooses. And so many things are good things. That's the subtlety of this snare. 
are the things that we get satisfaction of temporal. Do we get our satisfaction from our spouse, from our children, from our homes, from our jobs, from our prestige, from the affirmation of people? Now, in and of themselves, they're not bad things. But it's, again, it's our attitude. Is that what I look to for my satisfaction? If I'm not looking to God and bringing glory and honor to God, they're all snares. They're all treasures being stored up here on earth that are going to all burn. And they do not please God. It's not about what you have. I'm not preaching at any of us here who have something or don't have something. I I know you know as well as I do. I know people that are filthy rich compared to me that struggle in this area, and I know people that are dirt poor compared to me that struggle in this area just as much. So it's not about what we have or what we don't have. It's about our attitude towards what we have or don't have. We can be caught in this snare whether we have little or much. It doesn't matter. This worldliness is an attitude. It's a heart attitude. It's a mindset. It's a mentality that we have. Anything, I love this line, and this isn't my line. I stole this from another pastor. You know, what are those things that are treasures we store up on earth? He said it this way. Anything that stops with this life is one of those things. If it stops with this life, it's a treasure being stored up on earth. If it's not eternal, in other words... It's going to burn. And it's a trap. So how do we store up treasure in this life in respect to these things? And it's not very complicated. When our focus shifts from God to self, we're in a bad place. We're storing up treasures for us, for self. Now, we know that it's not the things... It's not the people, it's not the relationship, it's attitude towards those things. So when we stop giving glory and honor to God, when we stop utilizing the things he's blessed us with, whether it's our time, our talents, our gifts, our finances, our homes, whatever, when we stop looking at them as something that God has given to us for his glory and and not self, when we go to self, we're in trouble. want to make sure we understand this first. How do we store up treasure in heaven? This has absolutely nothing to do with earning salvation. I, I hope everybody understands that without me saying it, but we're going to make sure, so I'm going to say it again. This has nothing to do with earning salvation because we can't earn it. It's a gift of God, right? It's a gift we receive by grace through faith. Not by works, lest any man should boast. So this is not talking about our salvation. It's talking about rewards and treasures. And you know what? God wants us to have rewards in heaven. He wants us to have treasures in heaven. It's just a matter of having our desires for the eternal, not the temporal. So, storing up treasures in heaven, one, it's an attitude. Use whatever you're given to bring glory and honor to God. How do you do this? You've got to have this right view of life, this right view of glory. I mean, if I'm not careful, I, I find myself living like this is all there is. You know what? 
like the world says, go for it all. Go with gusto. Get everything, accumulate everything, have all the toys, have the best of everything, and boy, oh boy, can that be a snare. That can be a trap. We need to have the right view knowing that what? We are just pilgrims or sojourners or whatever word you want, word you want to use here on this earth. I don't care if you live to be the oldest person on the face of the earth. It's going to be less than probably 120 years. Now let's think in terms of eternity. 120 years is not even noticeable on the timeline of eternity. It's nothing. It's nothing. This life is great. God created us for what we're experiencing. He created us to live in this place, on this earth. He created everything around us for our pleasure. So it's great. We don't walk around, we don't want to be a monk on a mountaintop in a hut somewhere. That's not what it's about. But it's realizing that it's still temporal. So my focus should be on the heavenly. My focus should be on the eternal. Store up treasures in heaven that moth and rust can't get, that thieves and robbers can't touch. Man, there is an eternal repository. There's an eternal bank that God is guarding. That's where we want to have our treasures stored up. Not in a a repository here on earth that moth and rust and thieves and robbers can come and destroy. So we need to have that right view of life, that eternal perspective that we're just temporary here. And we also have to understand that no matter what you have, it's from God. Now, most of us as Christians know that, right? Everything I have is from God. Praise God. Thank you, God. And then we give ourselves a pat on the back because look what I've got. Look at my new this. Look at my new that. Aren't I special? It's not about aren't I special. We need to remember everything truly, if we believe it, everything truly is a gift from God. We are called to be good stewards of all of it. Your gift, your spiritual gift, your talents, your skill, your intellect, your home, your finances, your money, your bank account, all of those things you are called to steward to use as best you possibly can as you're led by the Holy Spirit to bring glory and honor to God, to advance his kingdom here on earth, storing up treasures in heaven. It's a mindset that we have to have, and the world is fighting against it constantly, constantly. There's a warning, and I mentioned it, and I said we'd come back to it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. The deception of this is so subtle, but powerful. As we look at those verses, I want to point out a couple of things that we may not just see in a cursory reading of it. The love of the world can control our lives. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 21. First, it starts talking about your heart, your emotions, where your emotions are, where your feelings are, where your sensibilities are, your emotions, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. They are going to be controlled. You are going to be emotionally controlled by those things, your treasures on earth. 
And then you look at verses 22 and 23. It, it talks about the lamp of the body, the eye, the light, all of these things. And it's what comes in, and it's about our mind. It's what we're seeing, what we're thinking, what, we're, what, we're, what conclusions we're drawing. And if our mind or that eye is seeing darkness, it's all dark. Our mind, our thought processes can be controlled by the spirit of the world. So our emotions are controlled. Our mind can be controlled. And then in the last part, in the warning, it says, you will serve an act of your will. Think about this. The devil is a liar and a deceiver and a counterfeiter. He attacks the mind, the will, and the emotions. He attacks that part of who we are, our personality, if you would. And it's subtle. And yet, if he can control my mind, my will, and my emotions, or if the spirit of the world can control my mind, my will, and emotions, I am not in control. The worldly mindset has taken over. These earthly treasures that in themselves aren't bad, and most all of us would acknowledge we'd like a few, Right? I would. But it's the mindset of what do we want them for? What will we do with them if the Lord blesses us with them? Remember, they are so powerful, they can't control our total personality. You know, if, <clears throat> if you just think about it for a moment, hopefully you weren't the one we observed this happen in, but you've ever seen someone all of a sudden something happen... Let's, let's take, anybody ever win a million-dollar lottery here? All right, good. I'm not talking to anybody here. But read the stories. Look at the data. All these multi-million-dollar lottery winners, most of them, you know what happens? They change. Their perspective changes. The way they live changes. Their thinking changes. Everything changes. Why? Their worldly treasure, their boat just came in, and worldly treasures... And now it's all about the stuff. And we can watch someone change right before our very eyes. It may be subtle. In those cases, it's pretty extreme because it all happens so suddenly. But how we look at these things ultimately determines the answer to this question. Who is your master? Jesus himself says, you can't serve two masters. You will love the one or hate the other. You can't serve them both. If we are in love with the world, 80%, and we're 20% in love with God, according to how I understand that scripture, it could just as well be 100 and zero. Because he says it's impossible. I said this last week. God is not going to compete with anything for our heart. He wants the whole heart. He wants all that we are. And not because he's this needy God that some people accuse him of being, he knows that's where the ultimate blessing in our lives will come from. So this snare of worldliness, subtle, praise of men. And the third one is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, even though it's a huge issue, right? Anybody in here ever feel consumed by worry and anxiety? If you didn't raise your hand in your mind, you probably are lying. 
human beings fall into this snare all the time. I can, I can be going along thinking I'm doing really great and I can find myself with the Bible open sitting on my desk studying and all of a sudden a wave of worry and anxiety just comes over me. And I don't even recognize what happened until all of a sudden I decide, geez, I can't keep reading this. I've got to go fix something. I've got to go do something. I've I got I to take over, take charge, do... Worry and anxiety just consumes you. And as human beings, we are a species that is very given to worry and fear and anxiety. They can become so great that they begin to erode away your faith. You know, we all know, I think, fear and faith don't coexist. As fear increases, faith decreases. As faith increases, it drives out fear. And when we start getting into worry and anxiety, it can be totally paralyzing to some people. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. Maybe you've seen others that they just they can't, they can't function. They're so filled with worry. They're, they're so filled with anxiety. They can't do anything. And no matter what you say to them, they can't even hear it. If they're kind, they nod and smile, maybe. But nothing changes. It makes us totally useless for the kingdom. Verse 25 through 27. For the reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they are? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Most of the time, 99.99% of the stuff we would spend our time worrying about and being anxious about, we can't control. Usually because we're worried about what's going to happen in the future, whether it's one minute from now or a year from now. And most of that we can't control. God is just saying, Jesus is saying, hey, wait a minute, guys, think about this. That's how I hear it anyway. I've given you life. Compared to sustaining that life, why are you worried? I gave you the life. I will provide to sustain your life. That, that body that you have, I gave you the body. You think I'm not going to give you what it takes to clothe it or care for it? You say, come on, come on, don't let fears get in. Don't let anxiety get in. Start looking at the truth here. Your life. Your body. Then he goes on in verse 26 and he compares it to the birds and his provision for the birds. You know, again, it's just like, please, I love you children. You're my kids. I've given you life. I've given you a body. Look how I provide for the birds. Compared to the birds, compared to you, you're the crown jewel of all my creation. They're all created for your pleasure. I take care of them. You don't think I'm going to take care of you? Verse 27, worry all you want. You're not going to add one cubit. And basically all he's saying is there, you can worry all you want, but there's not a thing you're going to do about it. You're not going to add one moment to your life. He says it's worthless. It's useless. Now remember, (coughs) I'm talking about worry, anxiety, I'm not talking about legitimate concerns, okay? 
We can spend time talking about that, but I hope you understand. There are things we need to be legitimately concerned about. God has given us a brain. He's given us this body. There are things we can do. He wants us to do, and he wants us to do it for his glory. So I'm not talking about legitimate concerns because we all have them. It's when it goes into worry and anxiety and fear. And then he goes on in verse 28. Why are you so anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry or toil or spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do for you, O men of little faith? To me, I, I hear a loving father. I don't hear a scolding ogre. I hear a loving father in all of this. Come on, you're my children. I love you more than anything. I gave you life. I gave you your physical body. I will provide for you. I will give you what you need. I will give you what is best for you. And right away, we can all come up with things like, yeah, what, what if? How come? When did? No. He doesn't even argue about those things. He just says, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Men of little faith, come on. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is your faith in the word of God and the God whose word it is? Or is it in the things of the world? How do you increase your faith? I don't even like saying it that way, but I couldn't come up with a better phrase. But in verse 32, I'm going to read verse 31. Do not be anxious, then saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles or the heathens or the pagans, they eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. How do we increase our faith? We need to be different than the heathens. We need to be different than the Gentiles, different than the pagans. We need to be different than the unbelievers. The unbelievers have an attitude, you know, that... that There's no rhyme or reason to life. It just is what it is, and it's going to play itself out. We just need to do what we can, and whatever is whatever. Be different. We have a God who created us. He has a plan for our lives. He has a destiny for each one of us. He knows everything. When we talked about prayer, ask. Your Father in heaven already knows what you're going to ask. He already knows what you need. This is our mindset, different than the heathen world or the pagan world or the unbelieving world. There is a rhyme and reason to everything. God has a plan. And you and I are a huge part of his plan. Jesus left earth, sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us, and he told his church, go and change the world. Turn it upside down. Reveal me to the people. Be my ambassadors. So we need to have a difference. We can't have a fatalistic point of view. We need a Christian point of view. Second, 
Remember your heavenly Father knows. Man, that ought to give you encouragement. You ever been to that place? I don't even know what to do or what to pray. Perfect. You're right where God can make you turn to him. He already knows. And we sang about it this morning, and the only reason it means anything when we sing about it is because the word of God says it. He is a good, good father. He loves us. He's not an angry God waiting to punish us and discipline us. He'll rebuke us at times. He'll correct us at times because he loves us so much. He wants us to walk in the obedience that brings the fullness of his blessing. That'll build your faith. Remembering who your heavenly father is and that he already knows. And thirdly, he said what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Concentrate on your relationship with the heavenly father. And this can be such a challenge when we're going through the storms of life. This morning I was thinking of this, obviously, because I've been meditating on it all week, but I was thinking when we sang the song about him parting the Red Sea. They were trapped. There was nothing they could do. There's the Red Sea on one side, and here comes Pharaoh's chariots and his men and his weapons, and there was nothing they could do. And he says here, seek ye first. Seek. There's a diligence there. It doesn't happen by accident. How many of you know you have to make a choice whether you're going to go read the Bible or not? Whether you're going to pray or not? Whether you're going to study or not? Whether you're going to just meditate on his awesome greatness or not? You have to make a choice. Diligence. Seek first. First. The priority first. It's too bad that God always has to get me right there where I have nowhere to go but look up to him. It'd be so much less painful if I just go to him first. I could sure save all that worry and anxiety for one of you. But we don't go there. He says, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be provided for you. Three powerful, powerful snares. Seeking the the, the, the the praise of men, storing up treasures of the world, and worry, fear, and anxiety. And each one of those comes with a choice, an act of our will. We have to choose. They're subtle at times, very deceptive, but they can take over our lives if we're not alert, if we're not discerning. Who's your master? Whom will you trust? Because of the subtle deception of this, I want to make one very practical suggestion in closing prayer. I would like to ask this question first. Who do you trust enough in the natural? Who do you have a relationship with enough to trust them to be an accountability partner for you? Do you have someone like that? Do you have some that, someone that may be able to see from the outside where you and I are being deceived? Where we're not seeing the subtle snares of the enemy starting to entangle us? Do we have someone like that? And if we don't, find someone. Find someone. 
We need brothers and sisters in Christ. So often pastors use the scripture that says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. That means get here on church so we fill every chair. No, that's not what it means at all. He's saying, you need each other. We need each other. I need people. It's too bad most of the time it's my spouse. (laughs) But I need people who are good at seeing me when I'm sliding into that snare and I haven't seen it yet. We all do. I have men, elders in this church, that will call me on anything. And I don't mean call me on the phone. I mean confront me on anything. And we need that of people that we can trust and that we know that love us. So I want to close with that thought. Who do you have that can hold you accountable? And I would encourage you to have more than one. You don't need 35, but you might need more than one. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the teachings of Jesus that are in our Bibles, in the Word. I thank you, Lord, that he is the great teacher and the Holy Spirit is our teacher given to each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts about all these things that we've looked at today, Lord. If there's anything that I've said that's amiss, Lord, I pray you would just let it fall to the ground worthless and harmless. But, Lord, I pray you would help us to be more discerning, quicken us in our spirit to see the subtleties, the dangers of worldliness, the subtlety and the dangers of fear, worry, or anxiety creeping into our lives. Lord God, I pray that we would, we would seek first you, your righteousness. God, knowing that you are faithful to your word, that you will provide all that we need. Lord, I pray for the baptism that's going to follow here shortly out at the lake. God, I thank you for each one who is taking this step of obedience to your word and making this public demonstration of what you have done internally in their lives. Identifying with the death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I pray you would bless each one of them. I pray you would watch over us as we go our different directions today. God, I pray we would hear you during this week. We would hear your voice, that you would, you would align the divine appointments for us. Give us words to share that we may be light and salt to the world around us. And we ask all this, that you receive the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.